Hey, Spencer, this is Philippa. I um, I know this is a really weird way to get in touch with you, but um, I am borrowing someone's phone. I was standing outside but because I left my phone at home. Uh, I've been kind of pounding on the doors for a bit. So hopefully you will get this and come out and open the door. Welcome to episode 27 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Diane and Kelly. They use the donation basket button on our website. Thank you, Diane and Kelly, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Our 12th tradition says, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. Why is anonymity important? What does it mean to be anonymous? Does it mean that we actively hide our identity? Is it only about sharing our first name and last initial? Or is there something deeper here? What can we share about ourselves? What can we share about other people in our lives? And especially, what can we share about the alcoholics and addicts whose behavior has so deeply affected us? Before we begin, we would like to state that though we and our guests may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of anonymity. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Kelly, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Swetha. How are you doing, Swetha? Great. Thanks, Kelly. Now that you made it inside. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next to Swetha is co-host Spencer. How are you, Spencer? I'm doing great. Thanks. Good, good. All right. So the first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic anonymity. And following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. And then we'll follow that with brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. And I wanted to start with a reading. It was actually an email comment submission on our website from a listener named Alexis. And she says, I would like to make a show suggestion. Can you do a show on anonymity? It's another thing that I struggle with. How much about my life can I talk about in my share? Should I keep details like what I do for a living or where I go to school to myself? When I've heard the most profound thing in a meeting and I want to share it, can I tell someone what I've heard? I sometimes feel like an Al-Anon is shrouded in mystery. Where are the boundaries of the secret? So I think we all agree that Alexis brought up a really good point. And anonymity is one of those things that I think is kind of a a hot button issue in Al-Anon. I feel like every single person has a different viewpoint on what anonymity means to them and kind of their own interpretation. So I guess maybe that would be the best place to start. Swetha, to you, you know, when you first came in, what did anonymity mean? And and does it, is it the same definition that you have now? Um, I think when I came in, anonymity was more about people in meetings, not telling my secrets. And that was, that was like a trust thing that I developed over time. And I think for me, anonymity still to some degree does uh, mean that 
But it also means in the context that, that nobody is going to, if I see, for example, if I see you on the street, Kelly, I don't think, I'm, for me, anonymity now also means that you're not like, hey, Swetha, how's Al-Anon going? And <laughs> is, is your alcoholic still drinking? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it's, that's not, I mean, we might say hi to each other and ask how everything's going, but um, I think anonymity is, uh, is now for me more about, um, now that I have understood that in the meeting rooms, everything I say there is confidential. Anonymity is more about protecting um, the fact that I'm an Al-Anon and uh, the alcoholics associated with me and their identities. And because um, from what I understand, that can potentially have a big effect on, on their on their jobs or their medical interactions with their doctors, whatever, and what have you. Um, and there's not a lot of... Uh, information out there about alcoholism that so I mean before I came to the program an alcoholic was a homeless man that couldn't be um, (laughs) trusted as far as you could throw him and I have really weak (laughs) upper body strength (laughs) Um, and I think that that a lot of people kind of have that by that um, prejudice so I think it's more about protecting the identity of my loved ones and so by extension myself to protect their identity yeah Spencer how about you Wow, you know, it, it really is a, a complex uh, topic, and uh, I've had different understandings of it um, over time, and, and different sort of different levels of how I felt, um, you know, what it meant to me. And definitely when, when as Swetha said, when I first came into the program, um, I was like, very much did not want people to know really who I was and you know I was faced with this uh, when I when I walked into my first meeting I saw somebody who was you know the wife of a friend of mine I think I talked about that last week and we both sort of looked at each other <laughs> and uh, um, and then in the next meeting I saw you know somebody who worked at my kids school and that sort of freaked me out because I was still I was still in the shame place I was still in the um, you know the idea that uh, nobody could know but where I, I came to um, a very a, a more nuanced understanding uh, of anonymity um, part of that is that I am in control and everybody else is in control of of their own anonymity and that uh, they can choose to um, reveal or not reveal uh, whatever makes them comfortable. Uh, so, you know, we have some people in our program who are known in the community, who are known in the recovery community, and who, you know, freely share their full name. Uh, they're very open about who they are uh, and about, you know, what... what uh, uh, what level of uh, addiction, alcoholism, or whatever was in their life? Because um, you know they're at a point of comfort with that. Right. Um, so you know when I came in, I'm like, yeah, I'm Spencer. No last name, please. <laughs> and and I would hear somebody say, "Hi, my name is Becky Smith," and I was like, "Wow, you changed your full name. You can't do that." <laughs> <laughs> That was a fake name, guys. There's that is a fake <laughs> name. Yeah, there is no Becky Smith, okay? I mean, not that I know anyway in the program here. So obviously there's somebody somewhere in the world named Becky Smith, I'm sure. But, uh, Breaking um, someone's anonymity on an anonymity episode. Yeah. <laughs> Irony. <laughs> 
So the other thing that anonymity means to me here, and particularly um, with regards to what we do on this podcast, is more in line with our 11th tradition about uh, public relations, about being anonymous when we're in public. And a big part of that, um, some of the importance of that is not putting any one person or a small group of people forward as representing the program. That's something that, that I think we struggle a little bit with here on the podcast, and I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on that as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point that you bring up. I mean, as you guys were talking, I was thinking about my first couple of meetings, and you, you might have to help me with this here because I'm not sure I'm going to be able to say it correctly, but I remember seeing that little card on the literature table that says, like, whom you see here, what you hear here, when you leave here, let it stay here. There's also at the closing of most meetings, I really like that they say, um, uh, whatever you've heard here, keep within the walls of these rooms and the confines of your mind. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, that one's really good, too. And I remember being kind of confused by that. I mean, obviously I knew that it was an anonymous program, but when I came into the program... I didn't have any secrets or so I thought. I mean, there wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't like how you describe your situation, Spencer, where there was the shame involved with your loved one's drinking because my loved one was sober at the time when I came to the program. So I, I didn't really understand why it needed to be anonymous. I didn't understand why it was a big deal to everybody and it was kind of confusing to me. And then the more... Meetings I came to, and the more I listened, the more I could hear in people's shares some of this pain and shame and these feelings that they d- obviously didn't want, you know, the general public to know. So, you know, I also kind of have sort of a, a skewed view, I think, on anonymity too, because both myself and my primary qualifier are fairly involved in the program, and the majority of our friends and people that we, you know, hang out with are also in the program. And so there isn't a lot of anonymity necessarily needed on a daily basis because we're constantly (laughs) interacting with other people in the program who already know that we're in the program. So it's kind of, you know, not essential until we start to do things outside. But what I have noticed as of recent is that uh, my loved one and I have different views on anonymity. Um, He is much more protective of his own anonymity than I am of mine, which I find really interesting. And I don't, I don't know if that's the same for you guys, but I wanted to come back to Spencer's question about the tradition 11 and kind of maintaining personal anonymity uh, within the podcast. Cause I know that that is something that we've (laughs) (laughs) we've had a lot of discussions about and we've struggled with a lot. And I know that in particular, uh, one of the things that we sort of make a conscious effort to do is to use the phrase, my loved one or my qualifier, instead of using a specific, you know, my wife or my child or my brother or, you know, whoever it is. Um, Although I'm sure if you go back to maybe like episodes one and two, we probably weren't as diligent about it back then. But, you know, in an attempt to to protect the people that maybe we do reference, yeah. um, you know, we, we try to, to protect their anonymity in that sense. So I don't know if you guys listeners have noticed that 
Uh, after the f- first few episodes, we started saying, before we begin, we would like to state that though we and our guests may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. Yeah. And the opinions we express here are strictly those of the person who gave them, take what you like and leave the rest. That wasn't part of our first few episodes, but um, a loved one of mine uh, pointed out that uh, there was uh, this person felt some discomfort about the podcast and that worry that we might be rep- trying to, we might be seen as representing the program. And so I called my sponsor and my sponsor's sponsor <laughs> and uh, a few other people and just kind of got, you know, a few opinions to see just w- what exactly anonymity entailed. Cause I didn't realize at the time I was still very much in the, um, this is written down here. It's very clear. <laughs> so there can't be a lot of opinions on this. The traditions are the traditions. <laughs> and I didn't realize how complex the issue was. But um, then I think we, the three of us talked about it and put that, put that in there. Yeah, yeah. episode six is when episode we added, six. added that language. Um, before that, we just said something about we're sharing our own experiences. Right. Okay. And, and we made it more explicit in episode six. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it would be good to get some feedback from the listeners on whether any of you feel like we are breaking tradition 11. Oh um, man. <laughs> Cause we're making every effort not to, you know, yeah. as, as good codependents, we don't want to break the rules. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I know it, sometimes when we've had guests on the show, um, they've elected to use a, a pseudonym also. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and, uh, so we try to honor, um, our guests anonymity at, to whatever level they, they feel they need it. Um, you know, we don't do voice masking. Like, I don't have that technology. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Maybe with more donations. We can that Ooh. <laughs> hint, hint, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's relatively far down on the want list. I yeah. Think better mic stands are probably the next thing. But, uh, yeah. I might just donate that. I kind of want to donate that. I want a voice mask. I sound like a really older, deep-voiced man. Hello, listeners. This is Swetha. Um, hi, this is Mark from RecoveredCast.com, and I'd like to take this opportunity to contribute to the Recovery Show podcast. This week's topic is the 12th tradition. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. And specifically, what I want to respond to is what does it mean to be anonymous? And by extension, what does it mean to be an anonymous podcaster? Our, our conference literature states that ours is not a secret society. We carry the message anywhere we can. Our, our conference opinion encourages us to go out and tell our story. But it also gives us a warning that we must be ever aware that you know, self-appointed messiahs speaking through AA, speaking for AA through public media can do really great damage. And yet the literature also states that the best way to attract people into our own 12-step fellowships is by our individual stories. So we're encouraged to share our experience, strength, and hope, but we're also asked not to speak for, in my case, Al-Anon and Alcoholics Anonymous. And Our conference opinion also states that any appearance on television where our face is clear, that's automatically a break of anonymity. So in the realm of podcasting, if we don't 
shield our image in a webcast, that would be breaking anonymity, whether we use our last name or not. So how does it apply to, in my case, an audio podcast and how do I protect anonymity? I simply make it clear to my audience, at least I attempt to, that I don't speak for the 12-step fellowships that I'm a member of. I protect my last name and I make it clear that I don't speak for that organization. And I try to tell my experience, strength, and hope. That's all I've got. Love the show. So uh, I have a, um, I had an experience, not where my own anonymity was broken, but where I broke somebody else's anonymity and, mm-hmm. and had, a con- had some consequences from that. And, and that was one of the things that really brought me to my understanding about um, each person setting their own boundaries about what they will reveal and what they will not reveal. And this happened with um, somebody who was in the program who I also knew outside the program. And so I knew some things about this person that they had not talked about in, in meetings. And my codependency told me that the way to get you to like me was to show that I knew stuff about you. And so um, I revealed... Uh, a fact about this person in a conversation with somebody else after a meeting. And this person let me know that that was not acceptable behavior, that they wanted to keep, you know, that information to themselves. They did not want that information in the meeting. And so I apologized. And then I did, I don't think it was that exact same thing again, but I did basically the same thing again. And there may have been three episodes, but it, it after either the second or the third, and I, I think it was the third, this person said, I'm sorry, I can't trust you, um, and I can't be a friend with you now. Hmm. Which, well, you know, it hurt. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we see each other occasionally, and we're cordial, but we're not friends anymore. And And that was, you know, the way my higher power hammered it through my head that, that this person had different boundaries about what information they wanted other people to know and that I needed to respect those boundaries and that's part of um, our tradition of anonymity. Alexis asked some questions here. How much about my life can I talk about in my share? You know, should I keep details like what I do for a living or where I, go, where I go to school to myself? And, you know, what I say to you, Alexis, is share what you're comfortable with and if you're not comfortable sharing, don't share it. Um, I find myself struggling sometimes because I need to talk about something that happened, something that I felt, something that I did. And formulating that, the story about what happened, about what I did, without revealing information that's not mine to reveal uh, is sometimes difficult. You know, if I had, say, uh, uh, an unpleasant interaction with my boss at work, it's important in that story that the person with whom I had the interaction is my boss because they have some authority over me and that changes the way in which we interact and that changes the way in which I might respond or react to, to what they said or did. And, um, and so at, in order to really effectively um, talk about that in a meeting, I might have to say my boss. But if it's an interaction with a person who is just a friend, um, I can, as I did in the previous story, decline to say what gender that person was, decline to say what sort of friendship it was that we had, how we knew each other, 
because those details are not important. And so for me, it really, a lot of it factors into what's relevant. What is relevant? If it's relevant that um, I'm going to school, then I have to say I'm going, you know, I'm going to school, but I might not have to say where. And it might not matter. Uh, you know, we come to know each other in the program as individuals. And as individuals, we know more or less about each other. And, and, and we can make that, that decision, uh, you know, as, as, we, as we meet, as we talk to each other, as we um, maybe become friends. I mean, I've become um, close friends with, with a number of people in the program. And there are other people in the program that I see at meetings. And I, know, and I, I hardly ever see them outside of meetings, uh, if at all, because our lives don't overlap there. And, you know, the people that, that I'm close with, we've maybe been to each other's house. Uh, we know something about our families or whatever. And, and that's okay. That's okay because that's on a one-to-one personal basis. It's, it's, it's in sort of the public, semi-public or public arena that we have to be, I think, particularly careful and particularly careful about, um, as it says at the end of Tradition 11, about the uh, identity of, of members of AA, which I extend to mean people who people in my life who are, are addicts or alcoholics whether whether in fact they're in AA or not I think you bring up a good point Spencer <clears throat> I mean I to me I'm I have the power to break my own anonymity if I choose to do so you know as you mentioned I mean I I think as a general rule most meetings I attend I don't hear too many people sharing personal details about the place they work at or the name of people that they're talking about. But as you said, they may mention, you know, my supervisor or, you know, someone I work with or, or, you know, as you said, if it's relative to the context of the situation, it helps explain it. Um, but to me, I think that's, that's up to the individual, you know, how much of yourself you want to share. I do remember the first meeting I went to where I, really got a glimpse of the importance of anonymity was one in which, and there was a lot of drama at this meeting, but a gentleman shared and then he shared a second time in the meeting. And at this particular meeting, we have a rule that you can only share once in the meeting. So there was a lot of drama surrounding the fact that he had shared more than once. And during his second share, he, he, he outed someone in the meeting of their profession because he had known them through this person's work. They had done a service for him. And so he basically (laughs) broke this person's anonymity by telling everybody what this guy did for a living. And I remember that that was also a really big issue because, you know, as I said, I mean, I I have control. If I decide to tell Spencer or Swaitha what I do for a living, you know, that's up to me. That's, that's on me. But if someone else decides to tell them what I do for a living, I might not feel as comfortable with that because maybe I don't want them to know that information. Maybe they've shared something with me that makes them feel threatening and now they know where I work. You know, that, that to me could snowball into a potentially dangerous situation. So it's tough. So you have any thoughts on um, how much personal information I th- you could share? I don't, I don't know. I think I think by default I'm pretty self-centered. So when I share things, I share things in relation to me, like my boss, my supervisor, my significant other, my mom. And uh, very rarely do I, I... I just realized it was never like I stopped and thought, I need to protect this person's anonymity. I just kind of was like, they exist in relation to me, so I'm just going <laughs> to talk about them in relation to me. 
outside of meetings is one thing. I'm very careful outside of meetings um, to talk about talking about the program, and I try to only bring it up if I think the other person is going to benefit from it. Like if it's someone I know that um, is living with active alcoholism or addiction or has felt the effects of, um, I try to, I mean, I'll bring it up and say, hey, you know, I go to this program. But in the meetings, I think I, depending on the meeting, I think I feel a lot safer, even if I do have a slip up and, and blow my anonymity about certain things and say, oh yeah, I work blah, 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 or such and such person because of the fact that they, they say in the closing, what, we, what I mentioned before, keep uh, what you heard here within the walls of this room and the confines of your mind. And even when I first came, and this was maybe a sick way of looking at it, but even when I first came, I thought, if they snitch on me, I'm going to snitch on them. <laughs> <laughs> Keep coming back. <laughs> this is a while ago. <laughs> but um, I mean, I, I don't. I don't think I think that way anymore. I think that people aren't. I hope people aren't. I mean, yeah, I think people aren't there to you know point out, hey, you, this person is doing this and that person's doing that, and like and out people. They're there because they're in pain. And I, th- I think when I first came in, I was so, so focused on what I was there for <laughs> and that I wasn't paying that much attention. I couldn't for the life of me tell you half the things that other people shared or attribute shares to a person in like the first three or four months. And by then I was aware of the anonymity and all of that. I, I remember um, a meeting that I w- w- attended regularly and a new person came in. Mm-hmm. It was a fairly small meeting and she was clearly in a lot of pain mm-hmm. and she shared a lot about, the situation involving her, her loved one, I don't, uh, fiance or husband, I don't remember now, mm-hmm. uh, and really broke broke his anonymity wide open in the meeting. At the end of the meeting, another man in the meeting started questioning her about oh. her her husband, oh. and it made me extremely uncomfortable because I knew. That this was, you know, this was not appropriate. This was very much, I mean, you know, it was her choice to talk about it, but for him to then start asking questions was just stepping over all kinds of boundaries. But I was not confident enough in myself at that point to say anything to him. Mm. Um, That's one of those, you know, things that I have to forgive myself for because uh, I feel like, man, I really should have stepped in there. I mean, I never saw this woman again. I don't know if she ever came back to another Al Anon meeting. Um, and and that is you know that's one of the consequences that that can happen when when we step over somebody else's anonymity boundaries is that we can um, really shut them down and mm-hmm. and um, you know maybe prevent them and I sound very codependent when I say this but maybe prevent them from finding the help that that you know we're there to offer mm-hmm. um, and I'm really not trying to take responsibility for her for her program or, or lack of program, but what I need to take responsibility for are my actions and, and you know, what I do, uh, in particularly first my own boundaries about respecting other people's anonymity. Um, but also we're in, a, we're in a community when we're in a meeting and, and that community has certain norms and, mm-hmm. and uh, it's up to the community to enforce those norms. I can't uh, necessarily expect, you know, God's not going to suddenly open up and say, you broke the rule. You know, um, doesn't happen, and yeah. uh, so I, I, you know, try to be a little more proactive about that sort of thing now. 
Um, and occasionally I still step over other people's boundaries. I mean, there's a, there's a person in um, one of my meetings who I have come to learn is extremely private, who wants to share what they want to share and does not want any conversation about it afterwards. And I'm used to people who are much more open. And this particular person, uh, I said something to them once after a meeting, and the next time I saw them, they said, um, please, next time, ask me before if I want to hear anything before you say anything. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Thank you for setting that boundary. I wanted to kind of address the question Alexis had about when she says she, if she's heard the most profound thing in a meeting and she wants to share it, can I tell someone what I've heard? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Because, you know, there you go. What you see here, what you hear here, let it stay here, right? But I, I know exactly that feeling, Alexis. And I guess I will say uh, what I try to do in that, in that context is to um, depersonalize what mm-hmm. I heard. Mm-hmm. Which sometimes is very difficult because, uh, for me, one of the most effective ways uh, that I've found to communicate these sort of abstract principles and stuff that we often talk about in the program is, is to have stories, to put it in the context of something, you know, more real that somebody can, and they can put themselves in that story and they can and they can get it rather than just oh well here's this wonderfully principle that you know will save everything or whatever. Again, a story, because that's how I communicate, right? I had heard something in a meeting that really touched me. And I was in another meeting context, um, and I was sharing it with a friend. And this friend said, I know who you're talking about. It makes me uncomfortable that you're telling this story. Because I had you know, not sufficiently anonymized the story, I guess. I mean, from the circumstances of the story. So again, learning experience. So... If I hear something in a meeting, I need to take it, I need to, I need to recast it to make it not connected to the person who told it. Um, and then I feel that I can, I can share it out. Mm-hmm. I have a personal experience with that too, Spencer. I had gone out for coffee after a meeting once, and there were several people who had been at the meeting Uh, We were all sitting around talking, and then some people who weren't able to make it to the meeting came and joined us, and someone was telling a story about something they heard in the meeting that was really profound, and it was one of those shares that we were all like, oh my God, that was amazing, you know? And the way that she explained it, she said, someone at the meeting shared blah, 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 and I blurted out the person's name. Because we all knew the person, and it was, you know, the story that she was telling was kind of relative to the person, and right away that person was like, way to protect anonymity. I was like, oh, dang it. It was so unintentional, and I I didn't even think twice about it, because everybody knew that person, and, you know, it was kind of like a breakthrough moment for that person. So it was like, we were all really proud of them, and I wanted these people who didn't make it to the meeting to also be proud for her, and... So it was like, I didn't, it was not intentional. I was not trying to be malicious or anything. I just was excited and um, right. learned and my lesson the hard way. Yeah. You learned something. Yes. And I, um, I was on the, this wasn't me, guys. I wasn't the profound breakthrough person that Kelly was talking about. But <laughs> I, I was on the other side of that um, experience, sort of, uh, once at a meeting. And I, uh, 
I was sharing something about my life and it wasn't something, um, it wasn't something terribly shameful that I, that I felt was terribly shameful or embarrassing or I didn't want anyone to specifically to know. It was an experience I'd had with a loved one and I shared about it in a meeting. And then two or three days later, my loved one, who was not at that meeting, um, came up to me and was like, oh, I heard you shared blah, blah, blah at the meeting. Ooh. And I was like, I didn't see you there. <laughs> and uh, this person was like, oh, no, someone told me. And I was thinking, really? You're going to protect their anonymity? <laughs> but that was good. It's good that they did. But um, but I felt really, I mean, it wasn't even like I was there when it happened to be able to, you know, I, I don't know. I think I felt kind of defensive because for me, the meeting rooms are my safe space. I think I heard somewhere in one of the open talks I've listened to um, that uh, people often act crazy out in the world and they come to the meetings and clean up their behavior because <laughs> that's the community they hold themselves accountable to. And they and I heard in this talk, no, 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 be crazy in here. <laughs> this is where you should be crazy. <laughs> then you go out into the world and be, you know, be on your best behavior. And so, um, I, yeah, I unleash my crazy <laughs> in the meeting rooms. I tell people the things I do, the things I've thought and hold myself accountable there. And I mean, I'm really glad that this wasn't a big deal what this ha- this ha- what happened um that I shared about and the loved one was there but um the fact that it got back to this person made me really uncomfortable just i mean i thought well if it, if this could get back to this person so quickly <laughs> um how what else could get back to this person what else mm. how else am i what what could i share at a meeting that i know for sure won't get back to him and then i thought um, I think after I spoke to somebody, I called someone immediately <laughs> and I uh, was having a small spaz attack. It was just funny because I was on my way to meet my sponsee. <laughs> so I thought I'd better get that in line <laughs> before I met with her. But um, I sent, at some point after I talked to this person, I realized that I wasn't so upset about um, I wasn't so upset about that this particular thing being shared. And I ended up talking to my loved one, who's also in a in program. And said, hey, you know, even if someone shares this, so shares stuff like this that I've shared at meetings, I'd be, I know I can't control what you do, but if you could tell them to stop because they're breaking my anonymity, uh, for one, that would be great. And if, even if you can't, even if you somehow stumble upon information, if you could protect my anonymity to me and not bring that topic up at all, um, because this is my safe place to go. This is my, this is where I need to go to recover. And if I can't talk about what's really going on with me, I can't recover. Um, and he, he, yeah, that's that's just that was kind of a it was kind of a difficult situation for me, feeling like this is my and also a breakthrough moment actually, <laughs> feeling like this is my safe space, and then realizing something, realizing that I prioritized prioritized my recovery over over um, my loved one knowing whatever it is that I shared. And and that's that's really important to me too. Um. And I've come to realize more and more over the years that that Al-Anon meetings, uh, meetings with uh, one-on-one meetings with people in the program, I mean, they really are where I can um, talk about things that sometimes I'm not ready to, or don't need to, or can't for some reason tell the people who are present in my life, my loved ones, my family. Um, the, the people with whom I'm in some relationship with, maybe it involves them, maybe it, feel, it, it involves feelings that I have that 
um, could be hurtful to the to the other person that I'm trying to work through. And and if I you know if I went to uh, somebody I loved and said you know I'm really I'm struggling with these feelings of resentment over this stuff you do. Um, and if that person is not in a solid program of recovery, that's probably not going to have a good outcome. But if I go to somebody in the program and I say, you know, I'm really struggling with these feelings of resentment that I have over this thing my loved one does, then I can get help. I can, for one thing, I can just bring it out. And, I, and you know, that's the step five uh, part of the program, the admitting to uh, God ourselves and another human being that that I have found to be so powerful this year. And I guess we're talking about step six next week. And, and for me, that admission uh, is a huge part of moving into step six. And if I can't move into step six, then I can't move into the seventh step where I ask for um, this thing to be removed from my life. And mm-hmm. so if I can't talk about it, it stays. It stays and it festers. And, and I don't recover, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I need to be sure that when I, you know, when I talk to... Uh, you know, when I talk to somebody, when I talk at a meeting, or when I talk to somebody privately, I had a conversation with, with a friend recently about something that happened 30 years ago that I hadn't talked about pretty much since it happened. Uh, and it had just been sitting down there in, in the bottom of my consciousness, sort of sending out bad vibrations uh, every time I thought of it. And, and I needed to be able to talk about it, but it, it was not something that I wanted to tell the world. Uh, and so I really had to trust that my anonymity would be respected when I did that. So I have a question for you guys, because there's a situation that has happened to me several times, and it's about anonymity in public. And, you know, I I work with sponsees, and a lot of times we get together for coffee in a public place. Um, Or sometimes I go to a party or an event where I know some people in recovery, and there are also people not in recovery there. And I've had it happen several times where I'm sitting and talking with someone that I know from recovery and a random mutual friend that we didn't know we had comes up and says, oh my gosh, you guys know each other? How, do you, how did you meet? How do you guys know each other? Been there. <laughs> and there's this really awkward pause where you're both looking at each other and giving each other the look like, dude, don't break my anonymity. <laughs> this, this guy does not know that I'm in recovery. Yeah. And... You know, so my my typical response to that, which I think, you know, protects everybody's anonymity and, and also is technically not a lie, is to say that we met through a friend of a friend hmm. because, you know, we are friends and we have mutual friends. <laughs> um, but do you guys have, have you encountered that and do you have any other sort of way of responding to that to, to protect everybody involved? You and uh, Spencer actually have been my excuse most of the time. <laughs> Like, uh, I, I, I had a party over at my house, and uh, one of our mutual friends uh, came to the party. And a, another person that I didn't know knew us, again, um, who's actually my significant other's friend that I didn't really know knew this person. It was really convoluted. Anyway, and they were like, how do you know Swetha? And um, this person looked at me like, uh, how do we know each other, Swetha? <laughs> and I was like, oh, um, Spencer and Kelly, <laughs> our mutual friends, didn't they introduce us? And there, she was like, yeah, 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 they did. They did. Yep. And pretty much since then, I've been like, oh, Spencer and Kelly introduced us. <laughs> you got, I mean, I don't even say mutual friends. I'm like, Spencer and Kelly, make it more plausible, you know? <laughs> and these are people who may or may not know 
they, Spencer or I? No, they have. They absolutely don't know okay. Spencer or Kelly. <laughs> if they know Spencer or Kelly, I'm like, oh, this other person that. <laughs> but no, it's uh, Spencer and Kelly. No last names. It just makes the story us. sound better because <laughs> yeah. you're using actual names. Yeah, so okay. it's not like friend of a cousin's mother's <laughs> aunt's child. Something, I don't know. I just I just thought you know, land that plane. <laughs> No questions asked. I like it. it. This is a topic that that has come up in a a couple of times in meetings that I've been in, and um, different people have shared how they deal with it. Um, Friend of a friend is a is a, or you know, mutual friends is definitely uh, way up there. Uh, Oh yeah. Somebody suggested you say, "Well, we met at church," which you know, a lot of our meetings are in churches. (laughs) Um, Or uh, a book study group. Uh-huh. Book study group's a good one because, uh-huh. you know, that's kind of what we do. Um, what if they ask if they can be a part of the book club? Uh-huh. What books do you read? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, all of, these, all of these things have their, their risks. No, right? no, I mean, a friend right. of a friend is, is pretty safe. Um, um, but I think the first time I really faced this head on <clears throat> um, was uh, I, I walked into church and there was a friend from the program there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we... Greeted, I think we might have hugged, and our mutual friend said, "Oh, how do you two know each other?" And you know, it was that same sort of deer in the headlights. Oh, wow, we never thought about what we were going to say if we got that question. You <laughs> Can't know? say we met at church. And I think the other person said something innocuous, and it was okay, you know. Mm. Um, and uh, because, I mean, I don't know if this mutual friend knew whether either of us was in recovery, and it didn't really matter. As my time in the program has gone on, it seems that has become sort of less and less of an issue for me. Mm. I mean, I still have to be conscious of the other person's um, anonymity. And, you know, I don't really have a problem saying these days, I'm in a 12-step program. I don't usually say Al-Anon because most people don't know what Al-Anon is, actually. Right. <clears throat> I, was, I was joining a, um, a small group at church um, that we were going to meet together for... Um, several months and explore um, interesting questions together. And, and so we were doing introductions, and I felt, well, this is a space where we need to be open with each other. We need to really know what we are. And so I said, I'm in Al-Anon, and the person sitting next to me said, well, what's Al-Anon? You know, like, I've never heard of Al-Anon. What is it? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, it's a, a 12-step program of recovery for people whose lives have been affected by somebody else's drinking, um, which, by the way, is a good sort of bumper sticker explanation if somebody asks you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it doesn't say anything about if it, when I say it that way, it doesn't say anything about alcoholism, addiction, whatever, which are those you know stigma topics. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it works for me anyway. And the other <clears throat> the other place that I run into this is um, if I'm downtown uh, or I'm just around town somewhere, and I maybe walking down the sidewalk and I see somebody that I know from a meeting. Often there's this sort of nonverbal little dialogue that happens where we're each deciding whether it's okay to acknowledge the other person right. sort of, you know, looking at the other person or looking away from the other person, <laughs> uh, um, maybe a little smile, maybe, uh, you know, maybe a little wave, maybe we actually say hi. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, that one, I kind of play it by ear and see what happens. And, and then sometimes I'll run into the person at a meeting later and they say, was that okay? Was it okay for me to say hi to you? Oh, like, yeah, no problem here. No problem here. Um, and then I have some friends that I know that when I see them in public, they absolutely do not want any recognition whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we like I run into them in the produce section of the grocery store and we just ignore each other. Yeah. 
because that's where that person has set their boundary. So I, I know we're getting a little bit close on time, but I wanted to bring up something that uh, our sister podcast, um, Recovered, touched on this idea a little bit, but there are, there are famous professionals out there <laughs> in the world who are in recovery, mm-hmm. and there is, it's always kind of, there's a lot of discussion, I guess, surrounding the idea of when they break their own anonymity mm. or if they are talking about program or program-related things. Mm-hmm. Specific example um, might be helpful. Uh, Macklemore, yeah. uh, in an interview with Rolling Stone magazine, said something like, um, I have to get into those those rooms of AA and, and drink the shitty coffee um, for my own health or something. I don't. That's not an exact quote, but... I think in the article also there was the reporter was sitting in on the meeting and saying, "Oh, really? I didn't such, read the article. Like, I, just I don't know." Quote. John D said, "Blah blah blah," wow. and Jane D said, "Blah blah." blah. You know, like, um, yeah, I I read that article. Wow, and I was like, I'm pretty iffy. sure that's pretty sure that's against that's, the traditional that's level. Pretty iffy, yeah, really. And then I called my sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, clearly none of us have read that specific <clears throat> article. So uh, take what you like and leave the rest on yeah. this one, but. Yeah, I, I'll just say that, that there was a discussion about that in Recovered, mm-hmm. and I think the episode was titled something like Celebrities in Recovery. Okay. Um, and and uh, the uh, the three or four members of AA who were on the panel in that episode uh, came down on him pretty hard for, you know, for saying that. Why do we feel like it's important? I mean, I know that we all go... <clears throat> to a meeting where we study the traditions. Right. And we talk a little bit about why it's important to protect the program mm-hmm. in these types of settings. I mean, I think something that we often talk about is just the idea that for these people that Spencer mentioned who have no idea what Al-Anon is right. or no idea what AA is, and maybe they're stuck in this <clears throat> sort of diluted view of what maybe an alcoholic or addict is, mm-hmm. that we could be sending the wrong message. Right. We could be skewing their view on the program when yeah. they have not had an opportunity to come and see what it actually is. Right. Um, you know, without intending to be a spokesperson, mm-hmm. sometimes people do turn themselves into one right. unintentionally. Right. And um, yeah, it, it can put, it can skew someone's view on what, what actually happens in recovery. Yeah. Yeah. I read a little bit from the discussion of Tradition 12 in how Al-Anon works. Um, the second part of Tradition 12 says, ever reminding us to place principles above personalities. So it's telling us that this is one of the things that comes from the anonymity as a spiritual foundation. And this paragraph says, personalities can overcome AA principles when we place those we admire on a pedestal, relying on them instead of God for guidance. What would happen to our recovery if it depended completely upon one or two well-intentioned but fallible human beings? It would fall apart the minute they disappointed us or violated our confidence mm-hmm. in some way. And and that, to me, speaks to the um, the risk of you know somebody setting themselves up as a public representative of a program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think for, for AA, this is particularly harder because the way in which people usually fail to live up to AA is to relapse. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody has said, yes, I'm in AA, I'm in recovery, I'm going to stay sober, and then Mm -hmm. they relapse and they're a big public figure, Mm -hmm. then the public says, oh, AA doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And and that's a problem. 
mm-hmm. uh, because, and actually, I think Russ and I were talking about this yesterday on the Twelve Hour Podcast for Recovered. Um, you know, relapse is a part of many people's process of finding sobriety. The majority, mm-hmm. I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's this there's this oft quoted statistic that AA fails for ninety five percent of people, uh, and what that really means that is according to somebody's measure that only five percent of the people who come into AA for the first time stay sober from that first entry. Yeah. Um, and whether that number is actually you know a real number, um, I can't say. But what's more important to recognize is that a much higher percentage of people eventually achieve mm-hmm. long-term sobriety through AA, right. um, through the 12 steps, or through other spiritual means. It's sort of like saying, you know, the first time I take an aspirin for my headache, it needs to be all gone, and I never have to take another aspirin again. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so if people look at somebody who set themselves up as a representative of the program, whether it's AA, Al-Anon, or whatever, and then they see that person fail, um, it can set up this this public view that that the program is is useless and and uh, you know harm harm other people's uh, uh, recovery, harm other people's ability to find recovery. Yeah, and Kelly, I also liked what you were saying about how if someone sets themselves up as a representative, it could isolate it could turn away newcomers that the program could potentially help. Like maybe someone's sure. listening to this podcast and like sway that person. <laughs> She's she just rubs me the wrong way. Can't can't even stand the sound of her voice. I will never go to Al Anon. They must all be like that. Thankfully, you and Spencer are also on the podcast and we also say that we only represent ourselves and not the program. And I think um like this issue I think is something I personally really worry about or struggle with because because of that that reason uh in the podcast. Yeah. I will say Swetha that in the interest of anonymity, someone mm-hmm. once told me that your voice is like butter on the podcast. <laughs> so I don't know that your voice would turn. <laughs> oh, I'm just man. saying, you have a fan out there. Oh, yay. <laughs> Haven't turned some one person at least away from Al-Anon. Victory. <laughs> okay, so we're going to wrap up this part of the podcast. And after a short break, we'll be back with our lives in recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. And I think Swaith is going to introduce our song selection here. Uh, We're going to play Dirty Little Secrets by All American Rejects. I really like the song, partly because of the... Actually, we were talking about the YouTube video, which we're posting on the show notes. In the video, they show people holding up secrets and stuff like that, which I thought was pretty cool. And I didn't realize until Kelly and Spencer pointed out to me. In the lyrics, it says, uh, who has to know the way she feels inside? Those thoughts I can't deny. These sleeping thoughts won't lie. All that I've tried to hide, it's eating me apart. I think that the meeting rooms, because of anonymity, helps us in talking about all these things. And you don't have to hide and keep it all as dirty little secrets. Tell me 
section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery and what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. So, Swetha, do you want to start us off? Sure. I was at the Wednesday meeting, and uh, there was a a lead by I, I came in late. But <laughs> there was a lead by a woman that was um, that I, I really really enjoyed. I just I really enjoy her shares in general. She's very she's very funny. Has like this dry sense of humor that just spot on and. Um, it kind of reminds me of actually uh, the way, so I also go to a St. Joe's meeting on Saturday night and, um, I, I always come out of that meeting laughing my ass off and also feeling like I just walked away with a, with a new idea that I could really apply to my life. And that's how I feel when this person shares and I really, really enjoy it. And that's kind of what it was like for me this Wednesday. I didn't feel like necessarily there was one overall message I got from her, but her story was so diverse that I just felt like, oh, that's really interesting and that's really cool and I should try that. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of what my Wednesday was like. And Friday night meeting, we talked about step six, which is we're entirely yeah. ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Oh, man, that's it, yeah. <laughs> it's right here in Thank the script. You. Oh. Thank you, Spence. Oh, well, because oh. step six is next. Okay, well, I'm not going to. All right. Anyway. <laughs> yep, so a little in the last horse crossed the finish line. So um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, step six. And that's, uh, it was really funny. I Whenever I talk to people about the steps, um, everybody tells me, like, before I worked the steps, everybody told me step four and step five were the hardest. But for me, step six and step seven mm-hmm. were the hardest. Um, and I I really liked hearing everyone's shares on this step and how they became entirely ready or were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And uh, Saturday night I went to an open AA t- um, meeting and heard this um, person share. And it was just a really profound share. And for me, I walked away with um, a feeling of uh, the message I got from it was primarily about being uh, rigorous in your honesty and with, especially with yourself and, and also trusting in your higher power and the difference for a lot of people pre-program and post-program, which I thought this was a really profound difference. Uh, yeah. That he was able to put into words really succinctly. And actually one of our friends mentioned this after the meeting was that, um, he said before program, he had a relationship with God that was based on this like bartering system. Mm. And then after the program, it was just trust. It was just trusting your higher power has your back and you don't have to do anything to make that work. And, uh, you're just, you know, he he just said he felt loved no matter what he did. He didn't feel like he was punished. He didn't feel like he'd have to do a good thing to get a good thing. It just it just was, and those were just really powerful messages for me mm. um, in that talk. Yeah, mm. Spencer, my turn. Yeah, okay, <laughs> you're up. Um, yeah, my Sunday night meeting last week. Uh, I was at a first step table, and there was a lot of really strong sharing about the first step. Uh, and the the people whose first meeting it was uh, elected not to say anything, but they looked like they were really listening and hopefully um, you know hearing what what we had to say and, and connecting it to uh, to their lives which is all we can really hope for uh, when a newcomer comes into the meeting I was also at Wednesday and you know I think the message that I took from from the uh, the sharer was a you know 30 minute talk um, for what we call a first step talk a talk about what happened um, and how how the program had changed her life and I the, I thought the primary theme was that that of hope, mm-hmm. that 
a lot of things. Uh, there were a lot of alcoholics in this person's life. There were a lot of, not exactly tragic, but definitely things that happened that, that were unfortunate, that were painful. And that through, um, through Al-Anon, um, through finding her higher power, um, she had found a lot of hope in her life and had you know, been able to, to learn and grow from a lot of these things. Uh, and reconnect with uh, with some of the people that earlier in her life she had held uh, really strong resentments against, and and so that was that was a really good message I thought. And the step six, uh, I I took the step six meeting as a sort of an opportunity to start thinking about what we're going to talk about next week, and uh, and shared a little bit about uh, the profound impact that step six has had on my life in the past year. Uh, and then yesterday, um, our sister podcast, Recovered, had a 12-hour live cast, which uh, I participated in, uh, and that was, it was an interesting and uh, a really good experience. guess it's my turn now. <laughs> I went to the same couple of meetings, <clears throat> Wednesday night meeting, the first step talk. I took away a similar message, uh, Spencer, is what you said. I mean, there were a lot of stories that she shared that she, she kept apologizing for repeating herself, but they were stories that I had never heard. And I really didn't realize to what level addiction had impacted her life. I mean, it, it, as you mentioned, it was really in every facet of her life. And so the message that I took away was just that recovery is possible. I mean, she endured so, so much, and she turned out to be an amazing, resilient human being, and she's hilarious, and she has so much great recovery to share, and so it was it was really nice to see, uh, to hear her story again. So that was great. Step six meeting on Friday night was also really great. Uh, we had a couple newcomers and um, didn't really get to hear shares from them, but um, I did see a lot of people go up to, to them after the meeting and talk to them, so that was really encouraging to see some, uh, some feelings of welcoming the newcomer. That was really nice. And then I also participated in the uh, Recovered 12-Hour Live podcast and was a little bit nervous about the live portion since we do not go live with our podcast. We can record out... <laughs> All of our uh, ums and verbal stutters and shenanigans. (laughs) But it was a really great experience, and hats off to Mark for, A, for enduring 12 hours with no food and (laughs) constant recording and constant talking. And, um, you know, there was so much work that went into that podcast. He went out to a local treatment center and did tons of interviews with employees there and he put together a bunch of a bunch of us. There was a lot of other AA members who came and spoke, and there was a lot of work that went into that. And it was a really, really great way to honor um, his late son Andrew. So, thank you, Mark, for involving us. It was it was an honor to be included. So, yeah, I felt like my share in that was really weak. So, thanks for picking that up. <laughs> you know, it was really nice too. I, I um, failed to mention that. I had some yard work to do yesterday too, so I just I used that Mixler app that we mentioned in our promo, and I was able to just uh, listen while I was doing work, and I, I heard some other open talks and some other shares, and it was it was really honest and and awesome. So yeah, I hope he's going to uh, actually post. I don't know what I, he's got all those interviews from Don Farm. I hope he posts those at least. 
um, because those there, there was some really interesting learning really about what goes on there um, and how they support uh, recovery in our community so strongly. Definitely. So as we mentioned, our topic next week will be step six, which is we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And we definitely welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation by leaving a voicemail or sending us an email with your experience or questions about step six. Um, And we have some example questions that you can respond to here. How do we become ready to remove all these defects of character? Is it like studying for a test? How do we know when we are ready to have God remove all these defects? So you can send your response using those prompt questions or just your experience, strength, and hope. And uh, Swetha, how can people send us feedback? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Just put the podcast on pause and join the conversation at 734-707-8795. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send an email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of anonymity or next week's topic of step six. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Well, that would be at our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. And I wanted to mention, um, I forgot to put it into the, into the script, but we have a new way to send feedback uh, oh. right from the website. If you look at the right-hand edge of the screen, you'll see a button that says Leave Voicemail. And if you click on that, it'll pop up a little window. Or if you're on an iDevice, you actually have to download an app, but it's a pretty small app. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can use that to uh, just talk to your computer and it will record your message and email it to us. And I think at the moment you get up to 90 seconds to say something, minute and a half. So um, this is a way we're hoping maybe we can get a little voice uh, from uh, our overseas listeners uh, who don't want to make an international phone call, and I don't blame you. (laughs) And uh, also at the the website, we've got uh, got the notes for each show. We have uh, pretty much daily meditations that are posted, and... uh, um, a lot of other things that, uh, are in the interest of brevity, I'll just let you at, at, suggest you go look. <laughs> and what's the uh, what's the website again? Oh yes, it's therecoveryshow.com. Perfect. And we have quite a few listener feedback this week, so we'll kind of just go round robin here. Swetha, you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, this is a comment from Meryl. She writes, clearly my HP was at work, as evidenced by today's meditation. I have just started Al-Anon, and my partner has been an AA for about six months. I am learning to detach and have boundaries. This morning, I was leaving for the train to work. I told my partner that I hadn't quite gotten all his gear together for his practice tonight, as, uh, as is my responsibility. I, as I told her this, she cross-examined me when I listed what I had and had not done so that she could get the rest. So you didn't get it all, with an insinuating tone. I said no, and looked at my watch and said, I will not miss my train, and left. I feel I did the right thing for myself. I didn't engage in an argument or list all that I had done in defense of myself. Though, as I write this, I still have an unease that I disappointed her and didn't take care of all of my chores. I'm grateful to your program and timely wise words, as I remind myself of the steps in this program and that I did my best. Thanks so much, Meryl. And we also have one from Eleanor. Who writes, Hi, I want to thank you for your wonderful show. It has helped me so much this week in the middle of a very hard work situation. I've never participated in an online Al-Anon meeting and was so grateful to find your podcast on iTunes. I've been in the program a long time and I've been so crazy the past two weeks. Listening to your show is about the only thing that has made me feel serene. 
along with yoga, a couple of in-person meetings, my son's giggles, and my husband's hugs. Today, I listened to Forcing Solutions and Easy Does It, and I'm finally exhaling a bit. Thank you so much for your service. Makes me tear up to think how much you've helped me. Well, it makes me tear up too, Eleanor. It really, I mean, knowing that we're helping people just is uh, really keeps us going. And I had a, a nice little bit of dialogue through email with Eleanor too, where she gave us a topic suggestion on program in the workplace. So mm. hopefully we'll be able to do an episode on that yeah, sometime in the near future. Uh, we also got a comment from Alexis that says, Hey guys, I've been wanting to write for a while now, and there was never a better moment than after listening to this week's sponsorship episode. I wanted to let you know that for me and for many others, I imagine you have been the hand of Alanon reaching out. I was in a bad place and a friend had mentioned Alanon sent me a link to the meetings list for our city I knew I should go. I was desperate for help, but I was afraid because I didn't know what to expect. I held off for weeks. Things were getting worse, and then I found your podcast. I downloaded a handful of past episodes, and the first I listened to was the What is Al-Anon episode. Listening to you talk about what you were going through and what you were getting from the program was a beacon of light in the dark place I'd gotten myself into. I felt like there was hope. You were laughing, and I wanted to laugh, and I did. I finally got the courage to go to a meeting, and I was terrified, but that quickly changed. I've been in the program six weeks now, and I'm thinking, what about this sponsorship thing? Again, I don't know what to expect, how to go about it, what to say or do. The sponsorship episode cleared up a lot of my uncertainties, and I think I'm ready to take the leap. Thank you so much for your long-distance disembodied <laughs> support. Whenever I'm in desperate need between meetings, I switch on the podcast, and you guys are there for me. And thank you so much, Alexis, for writing. We're, we're so grateful that we can be of service. And I'm glad that you that you gathered the courage to go to your first meeting. And and Alexis also, um, you may recall from the beginning, asked us about the anonymity question that prompted this episode. And, you know, I've heard this um, on the Recovered podcast a number of times, people saying, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get up my courage to go to a meeting, and meanwhile I'm listening to you guys. And I think Alexis is the first person to say that to us. Mm-hmm. And I guess that happens in Al-Anon too, which is... Uh, you know, I'm glad we're there. I'm really glad we're there for you. Um, our next email is from Sue. Sue writes from Germany. Uh, Hello, my name is Sue. I'm writing from Germany. I find your podcasts, and I'm so happy about them. Unfortunately, we don't have them in Germany. Um, and uh, something about uh, the culture is a little different. In the end, we all belong to the Alanon family. The next topic of your next podcast is anonymity. I think it is important, but I don't have too much to say to that. I joined Al-Anon first time about 15 years ago when my not-drinking-but-also-not-sober alcoholic partner gave me the advice to go to Al-Anon while he was not going to AA. We separated. Uh, Now, a year ago, I met another alcoholic, which I noticed after about six months, so I left him too because I couldn't imagine to go through this all again, especially just starting out. If at my first Al-Anon meeting someone had advised me to leave my alcoholic partner, I would never have gone back because I loved him so much. But after the second relation I broke up. I wondered if anybody else does it. In the meetings I attend, as in your podcast, I mostly hear from people who stay with their partners. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Hearty regards, Sue. And uh, no, Sue, you're not the only one who leaves. Um, I, I actually have feel sometimes in meetings like I'm the only one who stayed. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a tough call, Sue, and I think it's definitely... Just an individual decision, you know. There's there's no right or wrong answer, and you you just have to go with what's best for you. Yeah. So we thank everybody for writing in, and thank you so much for for topic suggestions. Um, 
we we're always uh, eager to to think of things to talk about. So. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which run about $30 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation basket button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Diane and Kelly did. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive an email commission. In fact, you can order anything from Amazon using the search box at the bottom of the books page. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. All right, and we're going to close the show with the song Who Are You by The Who. Kind of a little bit of a cheeky song selection, but uh, Spencer and I were both back in that idea. So, um, And then after we watched the video, which was an ancient live studio recording where clearly some of the band members were not even considering recovery. It was really, <laughs> really entertaining. Um, but yeah, Who Are You by The Who. Enjoy. Yeah, so go over to the website and watch the video too. Bye. listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you are facing today feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode may understanding love and peace grow in you one day at a time I really